Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Interruptions. For those of you who are listening for the very first time, we call our podcast Interruptions because we believe that there's a magical space between an incident or something occurring and our reaction to that incident or occurrence. We call that space, that time between the occurrence and our response, the interruption. We believe that if you have the right tools, the appropriate skills to engage positively during the interruption, that's when magic can happen and we can yield the positive results that we all want. So today's episode is a part of our Love GT series where we are taking a deeper look into our institute values of which there are nine, (laughs) but I'm super excited to chat with two of our community members today and our focus is we thrive on diversity. I'd like to welcome Joy Harris and Kay Martinez to our podcast. Welcome. So, Kay, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me. My name is Kay Martinez. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs. I'm the Director of Diversity and Inclusion Education and Training here at Georgia Tech. Awesome, Kay. Welcome. Joy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, I am Dr. Joy Harris. I'm a faculty member in electrical and computer engineering, and I also have the honor of serving as director of DEI initiatives in undergraduate education. Awesome. I am so privileged to have both of you here to talk about this very important conversation. So before we jump right in, I'm going to give you a choice. I want you to either tell me what brings you joy? Or tell me about what makes you feel seen in the workplace. Joy, you could go first. Oh, what brings me joy? You know what? I might take a stab at both. Okay. <laughs> I can say what brings me joy is making an impact for my students and in their lives. When a student comes back to me and shares something that happened that where I was able to help them to be successful, I just feel warm and wonderful and beautiful and fuzzy all over. And it doesn't matter how early or how late or how long ago it was. It it still brings me joy to show that our students are better because of us. And and then what was the second question? The second one, what what is what makes you feel seen in the workplace? Uh, What makes me feel seen? (laughs) <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> but I appreciate it and I feel seen when my senior leaders reward my work ethic, both financially and also through recognition, through public recognition. Mm-hmm. But financial rewards make me feel seen and make me feel valued. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, sharing that, Joy. Kay, what about you? I am very out as a member of the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. I am a non-binary person. I use they, them pronouns. I'm also queer. And I feel seen in the workplace when my identity is valued and respected. So I'm very honored and excited to be here at Georgia Tech, where in our strategic plan, we have an explicit commitment to supporting LGBTQ plus faculty, staff, and students 
and explicitly transgender and non-binary faculty, staff, and students. I've been in higher education for over a decade. I've seen many diversity plans across the country, and I have rarely, if ever, seen an explicit commitment to the trans and non-binary community mentioned. If there is any mention at all, it's usually the LGBTQ plus entire acronym, but here uh, we have that and then some. So I really appreciate that. Um, so some of the practices look like having gender inclusive bathrooms, which we have on the campus, awareness of gender identity and pronoun use. We have a great LGBTQ center here. And a lot of our work is intersectional. So, you know, I'm also a person of color and, and, and we have many other additional identities. So being able to live fully at those intersections is a privilege. I recognize that, unfortunately, not everyone is as safe as I feel in this moment to talk about my identities and be out at work. So I think we have a lot of work to do uh, around the world and the country in those regards. But as far as Georgia Tech is concerned, I think we're certainly leading the way. Awesome. Thank you, Kay. Thank you, Joy. And that's just like the perfect segue into our discussion today about this idea of um, we thrive on diversity. So our one of our values and the value that we're talking about today, it doesn't just say we value diversity, we like diversity, we think diversity is cute, we think diversity is in vogue. It says we thrive on diversity. And the definition is we seek diversity of backgrounds and perspectives as essential to learning, discovery, and creation. We strive to remove barriers to access and success and to build an inclusive community where people of all backgrounds have the opportunity to learn and contribute to our mission. So what I wanna do is I wanna dig in a little bit on that, um, on that definition and the, the word choice of thriving on diversity. So um, Kay, when you hear the words, we see diversity of backgrounds and perspectives as essential to learning, discovery, and creation, what does that bring up for you? What does that make you think about? It makes me think about the need for differences. And in my short time here at Georgia Tech, so this is my second semester, I'm, I'm rather new on campus. I've really been struck by, I think, our international diversity, especially. So that's very evident for me uh, upon my arrival that we have people from all over the world. Uh, here, we're a very multi-generational campus as well, or intergenerational campus. So for me, I wanted to point to what I've actually you know, seen and experienced on the campus so far. So I think for us at Georgia Tech, because we are global and we have a focus on innovation, right? We are also thinking about the future and in a really universal sense, which I think makes us uh, stand apart from other places I've, I've been at and know of. Joy, when you hear that, what do you think? What really strikes me is the word essential, that we recognize as a campus that diversity is a requirement. It's not optional. It's something that in order for us to learn, discover, and create, we require having diversity of thought, demographic, background, in order for that to happen. And I appreciate that our campus recognizes that this is essential. It's not. Diversity is not optional. 
Yeah, I'm thinking about tools, right? So when we think about this idea, and we'll come back to the definition, the rest of it, but we think about this word essential, as you said, Joy, what tools or tips do you have that you could recommend people do? If they look to the left, they look to the right, they're at a meeting, they're in a decision-making sort of or thought partnership kind of collaboration, and they don't necessarily see the, you know, diversity that we are aspiring to achieve, what tools or tips do you have that you could recommend for people to do when they find themselves in that situation? Joy, you can start us. The first thing I recommend is taking a pause. First, actually recognizing that we have a homogenous group in the room. That's step one. To have the awareness to look around and say, everybody in this room looks like me. Everybody in this room thinks like me. We need to consider another perspective. That gives us the space for the interruption, as you put it at the beginning. In order for us to say, okay, let's brainstorm right now, but we don't have to make a decision right now. Let's take some time to seek out diversity of thought and to seek out diversity of background and opinions so that we can come with and so that we can create and collaborate and have the best possible solution that will inclusively serve ideally everyone or at the very least more than the homogenous group that is represented in the room. So taking that time and space for the interruption to seek a diverse opinion is going to help just tenfold in order to create a better solution. Absolutely. Would you add anything there, Kay? Only that diversity can be invisible. When we have a group, it may appear, so to me the key word is appear, mm -hmm. homogenous. So what does that mean, right? And so I want folks to be more specific or dig a bit more. So you have you know, a group of five folks who may share one identity or maybe two, but then there are some identities that are not shared there. Um, and to me, that puts a focus on underrepresented versus diverse. Right. So if I have a group of five people and, you know, four of them identify as, as a man and one identifies as a woman, for example, right, we have gender diversity in the group. We're not all the same. And then I want us to ask the question, right, who's underrepresented in this group, right? Women would be underrepresented. Non-binary people would be underrepresented. So then we would want to seek out those additional identities or ask ourselves about those identities who are not represented here. So even though it's four to one, man to woman, it's still arguably diverse, right? But then I think we have to go a bit further into representation and even levels of power. Yeah, this is interesting, right? Because one of the behaviors that is listed underneath the definition is it says seek a diversity of views in making decisions, right? And so when we hear this idea of underrepresentation versus, not even versus, but underrepresentation, diversity, how would we know? Like, if we are, to us, it may look like we are considering multiple views. How can we self regulate to sort of make sure that, you know, as Joy said, take a beat and sort of recognize the space that we sit in? Is there any like, tool or way that you can know that or sure. joy i look for i look for triggers or flags or just things that are a reminder to me to stop and take a beat one flag for me is if everybody in the room is in 100% agreement that that is a sign that we are a homogenous group 
And it doesn't mean that there has to be an argument and a, you know, stark conflict in the middle of every single meeting. But if there is diversity of thought and diversity of representation, you are going to hear multiple opinions. You're also going to hear opinions that differ from your own. And so for me, if I'm talking in a room with five people and everybody is saying exactly everything that I agree with, everything I've thought about, everything that I've considered, that's a moment for me to pause and say, okay, probably this is a, a homogenous group and I need to consider speaking to and getting some, some other insight from other people. That's interesting. Was, would you add anything, Kate? Because I'm thinking like, yeah, I mean, I want everybody to agree with what I see. <laughs> And it's, it's one thing for all of us to discuss dissenting opinions and mm -hmm. then come to a conclusion together. That's that's ideal. Mm -hmm. But when you're in a room and everybody's like, Kool-Aid and pickles are delicious. Yes. I know. <laughs> your face, right? <laughs> Just find five people who agree that Kool-Aid and pickles are delicious. It must be everybody who grew up in Red Banks, Mississippi, and ate Kool-Aid and pickles with me, right? Because this it's just rare that everybody thinks Kool-Aid and pickles is delicious. And so if you expand that out to a particular topic, how is it that all of us really do have the, the same thoughts and opinions and agreements? And the assumption also, the assumption is that you are in a space where the power dynamic is such that people can offer a dissenting opinion. That is... That, that is a requirement of any productive discussion or any productive collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. Let's continue down this road of um, this definition. It says, we strive to remove barriers to access. And so I am thinking here, when I hear that, I am wondering sort of how could little old me, who maybe not feel like I'm in a power position, be well positioned to remove barriers. And so either Joy or Kay, either one of you can jump in. I'm just thinking about what tools or what advice would we give to folks who would look to someone else. That's not my job to remove these barriers. That's that's the people in charge, you know, charged to do that. How would you respond to that? I think there are things everyone can do at the individual level. One thing that comes to mind immediately is accessibility. So if I am doing a presentation, is this accessible? Are there captions? Uh, is this visually acceptable? Can I make materials available? You know, have I asked if anyone needs uh, accommodations, et cetera, right? So I think in an interpersonal level, there may be barriers there into access or receiving information or understanding information. Um, even with you know, our, our move to hybrid, sometimes that can present barriers, right? We've seen the digital divide and people who have access to internet or a quiet space where they can work. We have a lot of assumptions that everyone is able to just hop on a call where that has created you know, some divisions in accessibility and equity, right, to participation. So I think there's always questions in everything we do, we can ask ourselves. Some of those key questions are, you know, is this accessible? Who might this be easier for, right? Are there ways that I can think about other people? Am I assuming anything about participation, right? So I think in everything that we do, 
we can ask ourselves these questions. Yeah, this is a good, it made me think about, um, I was talking to someone recently and they were disseminating some information across campus. And they're like, well, everybody, we sent an email. Everybody should get the email. Well, we have people who don't sit at their desk all day looking at email. We have people who are landscapers, people who are not, you know, necessarily sitting at a computer um, checking email, you know, and if they do, they may check it once a week or, you know, when they have access. So again, that's interesting. So I, I paused in the middle of the definition because it also said we strive to remove barriers to access, but it also says we strive to remove barriers to success. So it actually reads, we strive to remove barriers to access and success. And then one of the values talks about ensuring the hiring of candidates with diverse backgrounds, being fair, inclusive. So talk a little bit about um, you guys' experiences in this, this idea of barriers to success. Yes, Joy. Ooh, I see it, I see it. Mm -hmm. Classic example, the person who is say at one grade, let's just say an administrative assistant, and that person goes to school, that person obtains a bachelor's and a master's degree, mm -hmm. and now that person is looking to work within Georgia Tech, but at a higher grade with more responsibility, the, the training, the credentials are there. That person can only get a 10% pay raise. Mm -hmm. Even though someone hired from the outside, let's say would get hired making double, what their current salary is, um, sub substantial, substantially more. But this 10% this pay raise system that we have in place creates the barrier that then forces this person to look outside of the Institute, which has long-term ramifications. Let's say, for example, if they are not vested and haven't been here 10 years in order to uh, you know, invest and receive the retirement. I have a friend, she was offered a role making twice what she's making in her current role. It was an outside company, but they couldn't wait until she vested. And so she chose to turn that role down because she was really close to vesting. She'll never make twice what she's making or she won't make it next month, right? They're offering her now. Uh, she can't get a role at Georgia Tech making twice her salary because of that barrier that we have in place even though she's qualified now compared to when she started here at Georgia Tech. She has gotten multiple degrees, multiple levels of experience. She's worth now twice what she's making. So I, I see that as a humongous barrier to success and to talent and to growth mm -hmm. within our institute. We basically force people to leave. Yeah. And with talent being such a valuable commodity these days. Yes. To look at things like that. I had one of these... Um, podcast that we did, we did with Scott Duckett from HR and Mike Shannon from Administration and Finance. And they actually were talking about some of these barriers and what, you know, there's certain things that we as people can do, but then mm -hmm. there are certain organizational barriers that sometimes exist as well. And we have to work on it from both vantage points. So thanks for pointing that out, Joy. Um, let's see, I have another question for you all. The, the interesting thing is um, there are practices that can be put into place, right, to try to remove these barriers, try to ensure fairness and inclusive, inclusivity. But for a lot of reasons, people still feel as though there is work to do. 
And I don't think that we ever arrive. I think that this is a, a journey that we will continue to be on. But if you're thinking about managers or people leaders who are listening to this podcast and they're looking around their teams and they're trying to figure out what are some things that I can do as a people leader to ensure that my team, we are thriving on diversity. What would you, how would you um, advise them? What would you tell them? I think that a major lesson from the pandemic has been that, you know, anything can happen. Things can change very quickly. And I'm thinking specifically about, you know, our, our health, or the health of others. And, you know, from personal experience, you know, I have had to take extra time uh, for my own recovery. And I've been very fortunate to be here uh, at Georgia Tech, where I have had a supervisor who's been very supportive and caring uh, and has allowed me to prioritize my health and well-being and have, you know, a flexible hybrid work schedule while I recover. So, you know, I'm back in the office now, but I felt safe and supported to say that, you know, my health had changed and that that was okay. Unfortunately, many people have not had that experience um, when it comes to COVID-19 or, or health precautions, but I'm really glad that we value that here, at least in my experience, we've been flexible. So I think my lesson or advice to people managers is to try to develop that rapport with your staff. You know, needs come up. People have families, uh, health changes. And I think from my own experience that we value that here at Georgia Tech, that is the thriving part, right, to success versus like surviving. It's thriving. So being able to care for the well-being of your employees, I think makes it safer uh, for everyone overall, but also means that we're more invested in our work here. I agree. I agree. I would add that as a people, as a people leader, trusting that you hired well and that your employees are going to do their work in the spirit of excellence allows for flexibility. For example, in the case of, you know, managing your health or managing family or just competing with commitments, if we recognize as, as people leaders that we hired excellent employees who are going to get the work done and are going to get the, the work done well, then we don't have to manage when they come into the office or, you know, when they're filling time tickets or we don't we don't have to manage that. And we can have that flexibility in order to accommodate the diverse needs of our staff members and our team. Yeah, so you have talked about a lot in this little bit of time that we've had together. We've talked about sort of taking a beat and recognizing when there may be opportunities um, for more access um, for underrepresented and you know to make it a more diverse experience. We talked about um, sort of removing some of these organizational barriers that exist that sort of prevent us from being able to be in that thriving space showing each other that we care and that we'll be willing to learn and then kind of leveraging our other values, right? We value well-being as well as we thrive on diversity, right? So using the language that is before us to help us move to that. One of the um, sort of last uh, places I'd like for us to go is in the behaviors and actions, it also talks about actively participates and or supports in activities, events, trainings, et cetera, as it relates to thriving on diversity. 
And I know, you know, in a world that is ever changing, we have LBGTQIA plus and all these different letters and people don't want to offend. They don't want to say things wrong. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the things that people can do to sort of learn about how we can ensure that one, we have the knowledge and two, be open and psychologically safe to kind of mess up and figure it out and how to have conversations through that. So I may be biased because you mentioned trainings and that is my focus. Um, well, first and foremost, we're at an educational institution. So I hope that everyone who's here is here because they value learning and they value education, right? So therefore, I hope that we all have this mindset that we want to learn. We want to create an environment that fosters learning, right? I don't know everything. I'm constantly learning every day and I want to keep learning. And I have the great opportunity to create learning spaces where we can dive into more of these topics. So I think that that mindset is really important so that you can be a lifelong learner and then plug into these learning opportunities that are available on campus, like with me, for example, uh, that we offer a variety of trainings every semester. So I'm really excited to be at a place um, that encourages that type of learning that has given me an opportunity to create those kinds of learning environments uh, for people year round. So Kay has formal learning opportunities. Yes. I feel like also there are opportunities where I can just ask like, hey, Kay, like I heard this. I don't want to mess it up. Am I saying this correctly? You know, <laughs> asking people how they want to be referred to, giving space for people to, you know, and, and, and I think that most people will recognize that we are in a learning space kind of as Kay has said it. And it's really about informing each other so that we can bring out the best in each other. Joy, you were gonna add something to that? Yes, I, I agree. Now I recognize not everybody is open to the questions, but I will tell you unequivocally, I am. As a black woman, I don't mind you asking. It's, it's okay to ask. I have a, a friend, Caucasian friend, love her. She wanted to do a drive to help a particular group of teens. They were teen moms and she said, it just so happened that all of them were black. It just, just so happened that was the demographic of the group. And she said, we want to get them hair care products. But she said, I don't know what to buy. And so you're my black friend. I'm going to ask you. And I said, I'm so glad you asked because hair care is so specific and particular to our culture that you don't need to get hair care stuff at all. That's the worst thing that you can give because it's not going to necessarily have blanket appeal. You know, we, we each use something different. And, so, and I made recommendations that would have more mass appeal for that particular audience. But it's all because she asked, why waste time, effort, and money getting something that I can promise you these, these young ladies are not going to use? And I appreciate when, when people just ask. And at the same time, I hope that I can find members of different communities where I can ask those questions and know that it's coming from a space of I really want to learn. I, I want to create a safe and comfortable space for everyone that I'm interacting with. So let me ask this uncomfortable question. And if it's too much, it's okay to say, mm, Joy, that is none of your business. Don't ask me that. I'm not willing to answer that. And there's no love loss. There's no respect loss. I recognize that's just not the question that I was supposed to ask. Tell me, tell me a better question. 
tell me really, you know, so that we can create a dialogue that is safe and comfortable and, and we both learn about each other. Thank you both for that. So as we close, I want to give you some space to just close out however you want, but I do have one last question. And Kay kind of started it when we started the conversation, talking about their experiences at lots of different places in higher education, right? And this idea that um, diversity of backgrounds and perspectives is important. And I just want you to, you know, as you close, kind of wrap up sort of why is this important? Why is this work so important such that it needs to be called out or so important that some places are trying to silence it all together, right? So the question is, why is diversity of backgrounds and perspectives important within organizations? So long as we're working with people, actual people, uh, we're going to have differences. We have some similarities, we have some shared experiences, and we have some differences. And as I mentioned, especially for us as a global institution, right, we are bringing together so many different kinds of people from all over the world. So this is our commitment at Georgia Tech. We are an innovative global institution. So as long as that's what we're focused on, we want our institution to reflect the realities of the world, the people across the world that we serve. I think that idea applies to any context, right? If you're a corporate context, right? You have global customers. You want uh, to be thinking about all of your potential users and buyers. And the world is changing. And here's where I think maybe some of the tensions can lie, where some folks feel differently about change. Some people are open to it. Some people aren't. Uh, and I think that that is where the space is for these conversations to hopefully learn more about each other and, and how we can coexist. Thank you, Kay. Yes, I agree. What comes to mind for me when I think about the importance of diversity in organizations, I think about every organization is producing something. In the end, we're all here to serve. And, you know, Dr. King said everybody can be great because everybody can serve. And whether you're a for-profit, a non-profit, you're, whether you're an educational institute, if Apple or Google, you're, you're providing a service. And we cannot serve effectively without diversity. In order to serve the way that we are called to serve, we have to have diversity of thought, background, opinion, and influence in the room in order to serve well and in order to be great. So we can't be great without diversity. What a wonderful way to end the conversation. I want to just take a minute and thank you both for sharing with us today on this very important topic. We didn't go into definitions per se of what is your definition of diversity or what is your definition of this or that? Because we really wanted to just have a conversation where we um, just explored what it means to thrive on diversity. And we sit in a very wonderful place of privilege where we have it called out in our strategic plan that this is how we thrive. We will thrive on diversity. So thank you, Kay. Thank you, Joy. For those of you who are listening, you got some tips. You have been interrupted.